Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. A lot of people complain about uh, this daylight savings time because they're like, I lose an hour of sleep. And um, I kind of feel you on that. But ever since moving to Lloyd Minster, I want to say that this is actually my favorite daylight savings time because it means for the next six months, my iPhone can be on automatic time zone updates and I don't have to worry about it flipping between the two provinces. So in case you're struggling with this time zone, you're feeling tired, this daylight savings that's like the positive that I want to inject your life with. Also, we have donuts today, so uh, you can get over your misery and enjoy. Well, some of you come early. Who are the double dippers here? You come early, you get, yeah, oh, right there. Are you holding a donut right now? That's... If you go to get a donut after service and there isn't one, her name's Alyssa. Uh, you can, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, actually, there are probably a lot of people that are guilty of that. The staff, we usually just get them before first service. We're in the kitchen. We eat a box. So it's us too. Um, I had this, uh, I'll say trivial thought this week that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, And what I was thinking about as I was wrestling with the text that we're going to be talking about is that uh, construction workers, like people who build stuff, you guys know what those are, and demolition workers, people who kind of do the opposite and break stuff down, they kind of look the same. They wear the same kind of gear, like hard hat, maybe that same like fluorescent uh, vest and all that. Use a lot of the same tools. They use some different tools. I've never seen a roof put on a building with a wrecking ball. Um, Props if you've ever done that. But uh, you you could look at someone and say, well, they kind of look the same. But their job is very different, right? Like, I mean, one of them is building the building, one of them is taking them down. Um, to be fair, the, I think the demolition one is way cooler and way more exciting to watch in a video. Um, but two very different jobs where they look kind of similar. And it's kind of trivial, but it made me think about us. It's like people who show up to church. We do a lot of the same things. We come to church. Uh, we're reading the same book. Um, sing songs together. We do group karaoke together every Sunday morning. We're kind of doing a lot of the same things, kind of look the same in some ways. You guys are like, no, I do not look like you, Ryan. And yeah, that's fair. But a lot of us, we kind of, you know, similar kind of vibe. And people might say, well, those are Christians and those are people who go to church or, or whatever and, and find some commonality there. But within that, I think that it's easy sometimes for there to be some of us who are maybe building, like construction workers, building up this faith community. And it's also easy for some of us to sometimes be like the demolition workers who sometimes are maybe bringing some damage or some decay or some destruction or or hurting things. And now at this point, like this isn't the point where people are like, yeah, amen, I'm the second, you know. But what I want you to do is wrestle with that idea this morning. Yeah, you're coming to church, you're doing the same things as other people, you're singing the same songs, and we're kind of going through this, you might look the same and all that, But I want, as we go through this text, for you to actually wrestle with that and ask yourself, am I, you know, am I one of those people who actually builds up the faith community, or am I someone who 
sometimes, or maybe even some ways, brings it down. And I would argue that there's really no middle ground. There's no like, oh, well, I don't really do either. Um, I, I think that you are either building it up or you're kind of, to some degree, in the other camp. And We'll reflect on that a bit in the text. And this is what I want to say, too. We're doing this series called Jesus' Greatest Tweets. Hopefully you've been here. And it's this sermon Jesus preaches called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the first week, I talked about kind of different layers of people. Like, there are the people that are really close to Jesus, his disciples, his followers, who are probably front row. And they're, they're actively listening. They're trying to learn, and they're trying to apply this. And there are maybe people who are a little less interested, pastors by and stuff like this. The sermon is first and foremost directed to the community of faith, what we call church. Jesus came a long time ago and he set up this thing called church. And uh, you can read in Acts uh, about this faith community that existed where people did faith together in relationship with each other. At FBC, we talk about thinking big and thinking small. And that actually comes from Acts 542, where it says they met in large groups in the temple courts. They also met in houses. They met in small groups. And we do that at FBC. I mean, we get together on Sundays to sing songs. We sometimes have some other large gatherings. But then we encourage people to be in small groups or in personal relationships where you're doing faith with each other, where there's accountability and prayer. And within that, those communities, we have to regularly be checking our hearts, especially with the text that like, we're going to get into this morning. Am I someone who's actually building this thing up? Am I a construction worker? Or sometimes am I doing things that's actually maybe going against this mission of building this kind of a community of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, we were in Matthew 5, 17 to 20, and I had said that that passage kind of lays the foundation for the next uh, six weeks. So this week and the following five from this. Jesus had said, he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. And so what's going on is Jesus saying, the Old Testament text, the scripture that came before is a representation of who he is. He is God who has come to earth and he's saying, that is all true about me. It's a representation of my character. But then over these six weeks, he's gonna wrestle with some Old Testament teachings, some Old Testament laws, some ideas in the Old Testament. And he's not erasing any of that. He's not abolishing any of that. He's not undoing any of that. He's coming to continue it, to display his character even more closely, even more vividly. And if anything, as he wrestles through some different Old Testament laws over the next six weeks, if anything, he raises the standard. If anything, he doesn't say, okay, relax, it's easier. He says, the calling is actually more. If you want to be a follower of mine, then you need to really embody these characteristics of who I am. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. We're just going to read through it. And then after that, we're going to uh, move through slowly. The, it's in three paragraphs in your Bible, and it's two verses per paragraph. The first paragraph we'll spend the bulk of our time in. We'll go through the other two. And then at the end, I'm just going to offer you a little bit of a reminder, bottom line phrase that you can maybe take with you that hopefully gets to the heart of what the message is this morning and will be hopefully helpful for you as you continue to Ask yourself, am I a construction worker? Or am I a demolition worker? Demolition workers, way cooler in real life. Demolition workers, not so cool in the church, okay? So just a little bit of a distinction we need to draw there. So Matthew 5, 21 through 26, if you want, you can read it with me. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer the gift." 
Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you that you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So I want to work through this with you guys, make some observations. Hopefully it's helpful to understand the text, and then hopefully we can be a church that puts this into practice. So Jesus says, he starts out by saying, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. You heard this, and over the next six weeks, this is kind of a poetic refrain that's going to open all of these six sections. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, or it has been said, or you've heard just kind of this repeat of, you've heard this thing. And there are two observations I want to make about that. The first one is that Jesus, again, is he's not moving away from the Old Testament law. He's not moving away from the teachings of the Old Testament. He's not getting rid of those, but he's actually leaning into that and saying, okay, guys, let's take out scripture. Let's look at what I've already expressed through my character, my love, my compassion, my grace. Let's look at the gospels expressed through the Old Testament, and, and it still stands. So he's highlighting that and bringing it, and he's about to raise the standard, but he's saying, this still matters. I haven't changed. But then in this statement where he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, a lot of scholars would speculate that he's actually kind of making a bit of a jab at his, the, the, some of the audience who have heard what they want to hear. If you heard last week, I was talking about this idea of sometimes when someone says something hard, we just hear it how we want to hear it. We interpret it in our own way. And I think he's saying, yeah, you've read this, but you've heard it the way you want to hear it. And now he's coming and saying, let me tell you exactly what it's about. Get rid of your false understandings, your false interpretations of this text, because I'm going to tell you. It says, so you've heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This is a pretty obvious teaching, right? Like, I mean, most of us can get on board with this part of the Bible. It's like, don't murder. We're like, yeah, amen. That's, that's probably a good teaching. You shall not murder, and anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. The two levels of judgment that go on here, the people of the first century, the, the Jewish people of the first century, the main audience here, they'd be subject to the judgment by this Jewish court called the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was this group of 71 dudes who had like risen the ranks in uh, like the Talmuds, basically the Jewish studies of scripture, and they knew it really well, and then they got to sit in judgment on people. Now, there was a higher court. It was the Roman Empire that was, had imperialized the nation, but the Sanhedrin would deal with a lot of issues around their religious law. And so they would actually judge people based on the Old Testament text. And so Jesus is saying, when you murder, you're subject to the judgment of, of this kind of court within this community of faith. But more than that, he's also saying, when you murder, you know, people know who have read the Old Testament text, that, that God will judge you for that. God, God is not happy when people murder people. That's a pretty obvious teaching. God doesn't like it when people kill his creation. Now, something that should be noted is that if you've read and studied the Old Testament text, there's actually quite a bit of teaching around murder, and it's very specific when we talk about what we call first-degree murder. Like, you maliciously hate someone, you go and you murder them. You want to end someone's life, you go and do that. This is very, like, in, in the Old Testament, this is a big deal. But if you read the Old Testament, there's actually a, there are some provisions around like workplace deaths or accidental situations, things like that. And, and God isn't just this capricious judge who just like, is just like, whatever, if you mess up, you make a mistake, like it's over for you. So actually some allotments around that. I only mention that to say when Jesus is talking here, he's not talking about manslaughter. He's not talking about second degree. He's not talking about workplace accidents. He's talking about murder. He's talking about murder one. He's saying that, and this is the contrast he's going to, or the comparison he's going to make between murder and anger. He's actually comparing it to the evil, vile act of going out and wanting to kill someone. So he says, if you murder like that, you're going to be subject to judgment. 
You've heard that. You guys know that. You guys agree with that. And he says, but I tell you. Now, over the next six weeks, he's going to say this thing a lot. You've heard this, but I tell you. And this isn't him contradicting again. This is him carrying along with it. But this is actually a powerful statement. This is the type of statement that would have gotten a lot of the religious leaders pretty uptight and angsty at this point. Because what's Jesus saying when he says, but I tell you? He's, he's not only putting himself authoritatively over the teachers of the law at that time and saying, listen, I know what's up. He's actually placing himself within scripture and saying, listen, I am, interpre- I am continuing to write scripture. I am continuing to be the revelation of God. He's saying, I am God. And as I speak, scripture is written. So he said, you've heard it this way, but let me tell you this. This is what's at the heart of it. When God asks people to not murder, when he tells people to not murder, he's not just like, oh, because I want more people to be alive. What's at the heart of that? He cares about his people. He wants compassion and love to be the song that his community of faith sings together harmoniously. He doesn't want a community of faith where people hate each other and are angry with each other and stuff like that. So he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is making a direct comparison here between murder, brutal, vile murder, and being angry with someone. That's a freaky teaching. That is intense. So, I mean, I know I've been angry with people. It's a hard teaching. Now, there's some things that we should kind of say about that because Scripture sometimes talks about anger not in such a negative way. And there is allotment for righteous anger. We should be upset when we hear about some of the social injustices in our world. We should be upset when we hear about oppression. We should be upset when there, there should be a righteous upsetness, if that's a word, if I can use that, deeply theological, inside us that wells up when things, when, when, when God is being dishonored within the church, when we hear false teaching in the church, that should not sit well with us. But not in a, not in a hateful way, but in a way where we actually desire the liberation from social injustice, the way we desire the liberation from false teaching, in the way that we desire what is good for those around us, particularly within the church, because that's kind of the context Jesus is talking about, this faith community. We should want things to be good, for people to be built up, to be raised up, to be built up like a construction worker would build. We want to build into the body of Christ. We want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So when things are contradicting that, there is a room for a righteous anger that says, no, that has to stop. But what Jesus is talking about here, this type of anger, this is the type of anger that seeks to hurt someone. This is the type of anger that comes out of, well, they did something to me and we want to get back. We want to punch back. This is the type of anger that slanders someone and maligns someone and, and tries to hurt someone and, and just try to settle the score. If we're looking for revenge, if we're just trying to like be vindicated and seeing people hurt or suffer for what they've done, and maybe they've done brutal things for you, then Jesus says that anger, it's like murder. Why does he make that comparison? Well, it's essentially the same thing. When we hold that kind of anger in our hearts, really, it is like... The, the seed of what murder is. Murder is just, in some ways, just a really honest, genuine expression of that kind of anger and hatred. It's people who have taken that and acted upon it. Most of us don't act upon it, and please don't. That's a really good thing. But it is essentially the same thing, just carried to an extreme. And Jesus says, that's not okay. And he continues on, he unpacks this a bit. He says, Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
So there are kind of two things here. He says, if you say raka, you'll be subject to judgment. But if you say, you fool, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Most of us sitting here this morning, we're like, oh, sweet. I've never said raka to someone. So like, I'm in the clear on this. All good with Jesus. Maybe I've said you fool. But so I want to define those terms and what's going on here. Most of the New Testament is written in Greek. Maybe you know that. These are Aramaic terms, another language. And Jesus uses these common terms of their day to, to, to highlight that one of them is, is, is on this level where you should be subject to the kind of earthly judgment. And the other one is that you're in danger of the fire of hell. I'm not trying to preach a fire and brimstone message here. It's, it's Jesus doing it, just trying to reflect on his teaching. So this word raka, it's this Aramaic word. And what it really means is it means like your head is empty. So basically, translation, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're not smart. You're dumb. You moron, that kind of thing. And it's a common Aramaic, like, abusive term to, like, kind of chip away at someone's ability or capability. You're useless. Your head's empty. You're stupid. That, that kind of a thing. And Jesus says, that's not okay. What are you talking about? You're talking about people that Jesus has created in his image, whom he loves so much and he's going to give his life for. He's like, you shouldn't be talking about others like that. Even if someone isn't good at something, why are we going around and saying, Raka, you're, you're, you're useless, you're no good. And what he says here is he says, if you do that, you're answerable to the court. And I actually think Jesus is making a bit of a statement here and saying, Sanhedrin, if you guys really want to do your job, then you should be holding people accountable for saying, speaking like that to each other. If you want a healthy faith community, it's not just about trying to get, questioning people for murder. It's not just like trying to get people to arrive at a point where it's like, fine, we'll let other people live, but raka, 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 you know? It's just like, it's like Jesus saying, stop. If you're really gonna do faith and community well, don't stand for people speaking about others like that out of hatred and out of anger and out of bitterness. Slander has no place in the church. But they said, he goes on and he says, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So if raka is kind of a, an attack on someone's aptitude or intellect or capability, you fool is an attack on someone's character. You fool really in Aramaic means godless one. It, it would be for me to say, feel that I could stand in judgment on someone's character or morality or spiritual standing with God. And this is tough because if you read scripture, you'll see that we're supposed to hold each other accountable. So let's challenge people and come alongside people and say, hey, maybe you should reconsider this action. I've heard you've been doing this. I see you doing that. Maybe you should think about that. And we should be, in a way, judging and perceiving people's actions in the sense that we say, I care about you enough. This is a huge part of thinking small accountability. I care about you enough to say, hey, Ryan, like, consider this. Some of the most meaningful things in my life has, have been when people have kind of judged what, what I'm doing, the actions I'm going through, the decisions I'm making and saying, Ryan, I want to challenge you out of love. But it's easy sometimes to be miffed with someone or upset with someone or they do something. And what we often do as people is we have a lot of grace for ourselves. We make a misstep. Well, why did we do that? Well, that person said that or this circumstance or this happened or whatever. It's just a response. And, and we understand that that was maybe a one-off, that that happened once or twice. We did that once or twice. But when someone else does it, well, we paint their character that way. We say, well, they did that, so that's the type of person they are. And here's what's really dangerous, and here's why Jesus uses such strong language of the fire of hell. He says, if you decide that you're the judge of someone's moral character, if you decide in a condescending, judgmental way that you're the person who decides if someone is right with God or not, 
Essentially, you've decided that you sit on the throne of judgment rather than God sitting on the throne of judgment. Thank goodness God is the one that looks at our heart and judges us. Thank goodness that a king full of grace and mercy and compassion is the one that judges us like that because he knows everything. But as people, it's easy. When people have misstepped, they've done things we don't like, things we don't agree with. To, to take this position that, well, that's the type of person they are or to, 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 to condescend in that way. And I mean, don't hear it from me. You hear it from Jesus. That is not okay in the community of faith. We are supposed to challenge each other and we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit later. But we're never supposed to be people who decide, oh, well, we know what's in their heart. We know what's going on. We're not called to slander and to hate and to hurt each other and to tear each other down. We can continue on. We'll spend less time in these next two sections and then we'll wrap it up. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. One of the greatest things about God as you read scriptures, you just get this deep sense of his heart being all about reconciliation. He is a God that amidst our great sin, a great our missteps, a great, amidst our, our brokenness, our lack of direction, our wandering, anything that we do to sin against him, he is a God who always seeks reconciliation with us to the point where he steps off his throne, cloaks himself in flesh as Jesus and comes and teaches and gives his life for us. He offers reconciliation. And here he says, don't, don't be angry. And, and don't not even just be angry, but actually go and try to be reconciled to others. And I love this teaching because he says, no matter what you're doing, Stop right then and there. When you realize there are issues between you and a brother or sister, who's a brother and sister? I mean, you could apply this to anyone, but brothers and sisters really means especially people in your faith community. Go and be reconciled to them. Don't let hate fill your veins. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, oh, I don't hate anyone. Hate's a strong word. So I'll say to that, hate's a weak word. It takes no strength to hate. It takes strength to love. For me to get up here and say, look at these 100, 200 people in the room, you're called to love them despite the ways that they'll hurt you, despite the, the, the things that they'll do that make you want to say raka or you fool or whatever. You'll probably never want to say raka, maybe after today. But despite all that, despite anything they do, you're called to love. That takes strength. Hatred? Well, that doesn't take much. It just takes a little bit of bitterness to well up inside you. It just takes a little bit of desire to see someone, to be, to be frustrated with someone, to be angry with someone, to... To, to, to trash talk someone, to have issues with someone. That's easy. Love is hard in a context like that. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, go and seek reconciliation. You go take it upon yourself. Well, offering your gift at the altar in Jesus' time was a form of worship. People would come and they'd offer a gift at the altar and they would worship God there. And Jesus is essentially saying, I don't care what you're doing in the moment. You realize there's beef between a brother or a sister and me. You, there's an issue between us. You go and you do what you can to reconcile it. Like, if in the middle of this message, while I'm talking to you guys, you guys are depending on something from me, I realize that's going on. I should put this down, hit pause and say, I'll be back, hopefully in a few minutes, unless it doesn't go that well. It might take a little while longer. Just chill, grab a donut, wait, I'll be back. Stop whatever you're doing. It's easy for us to be like, well, it'll work itself out. Uh, It's on them. It's interesting, in this text, who's it on? Someone's offering their gift. They're worshiping God. They're probably, maybe, let's say they're in a decent spot spiritually. And they realize, someone over here has an issue with me. They're carrying some baggage. 
it'd be easy for us to say, well, that's on them. They can come talk to me. They can come figure it out. If they want to work it out, they can. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You go. You take the steps. It doesn't matter what part, you're, what part you play in it. If there's issues between you and we can't afford to have divisions like that in the church. We can't afford to have that kind of brokenness. We're either people who are allowing, by allowing the damage to exist, we're demolition workers. If we go and we seek the health and the rebuilding, then we can be construction workers. Maybe you're like, I don't want to be a construction worker. Yeah, find a different analogy that works for you. But you can be someone that actually brings life and health to the situation. Leave your gift there. Arguably, it's safe. No one's going to steal it. It's in front of the altar. If they do, big trouble. Go and seek reconciliation and restoration. Reconciliation is the heartbeat of God. It's not, oh, just don't murder. Let people live. It's build love. Actually engage in personal relationships. Bring health and life to others spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Continues on kind of in this motif, and he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Settle matters quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Paul writes, he says, in your anger, don't sin. Sometimes there are some things that frustrate us and sometimes there are things that put us off and, 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 and that's life. I mean, it's messy having a bunch of humans together. We're all, we all know that we're right and we're smarter than everyone. It gets messy. But in that, don't sin. Go and seek reconciliation. In the book of James, James Wright, he says, he says, human anger doesn't bring about the righteous life God desires. So sometimes we're motivated by kind of a righteous fire that's like, this isn't right, that's not right. And we, we go and we do that and we challenge each other. But when we step into human anger and anger that wants people to hurt or suffer or we just want to get even or, we, or they're just so wrong and we're, and we're condescending and we're, we're looking down on them and we just know we're so vindicated, it does not produce the righteous life that God desires. And right before this text, remember, Jesus says that your righteousness has to exceed those of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Later on in the book of James, James says, you know, he's like, with your mouth you worship God and you say, God, you're awesome and I love you, but out of the same mouth you speak negatively. You trash talk your brothers and sisters. He says, how can this be? They're made in God's image. How can you speak highly of God but then hate on those made in his image? This doesn't make sense. If you're a parent and you have like four or five kids, first of all, our, our prayers are with you. But if you do, if one of your kids runs through the living room and punches all of their siblings in the face and beats them up and then comes to you and wraps their arm around you and says, Daddy, I love you. Or Mommy, I love you so much. You're kind of like, what? You know, like, I mean, unless you're having a rough day, you're probably like, oh, right, nice work. No, but, you know, you're looking at your other kids who have black eyes and they're bleeding and they're bruised and they're crying and you're like, this, this doesn't make sense. But if your kid goes around and expresses love to their siblings and then climbs on your lap and says, Daddy, I love you so much, how much more meaningful is that embrace as you've watched them hug their siblings and help their siblings and love on their siblings and, and go and work stuff out with their siblings along the way? God isn't interested in us worshiping out of one side of our mouths while we actively 
like hate on or, or have maintained broken relationships with those that he created in his image that are part of his body, his faith community. It's incongruent. Maybe you're like, I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland. You know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like out there, you know, like I, I just let the issues go and stuff like that. And, and they'll work themselves out. And, and I would say if, you, if that's your posture, I actually think that you're at best just being complicit in the destruction in those relationships. At one point, there was this broken relationship going on between some people. And someone I know who's a follower of Jesus kind of was like, well, I don't know. We don't, like, it'll work itself out. And they said, it's interesting because one day we'll be standing in heaven with our arms around each other and it'll all be good then. And this kind of mentality that it'll work itself out in eternity. And I couldn't help but think, but a chapter later in this, in this text, Jesus says to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't put it off. If there are broken relationships, if there are people you're struggling with, you have questions, go, leave your gift at the altar, settle matters quickly, and go and be reconciled. God's kingdom come, his will be done now. Settle matters quickly on earth as it is in heaven. It's not like, oh, God will deal with it one day when we're all dead. No, let's deal with it now because when we don't, in a sense, we're complicit in that kind of murder. First John 3, John writes, he says, when you hate someone, it is like murder. And murderers have, do not have eternity inside their hearts. And this is an important call where Jesus says, listen, guys, we have to reconcile. We have to be active in that. And this is kind of the bottom line I want to leave you guys today, and hopefully you can wrestle with this a bit. It says, hate deals damage, love heals damage. Which side are you on? And I'm not suggesting that you have to be fully on one side or another side, but it's easy, even if you're on the loving side, to be like, yeah, like I mostly do this, but in that relationship or in that situation or with this thing, or well, they did that, or they said that, or this happened, and it's you can't fix everything. But what you can do is one day honestly stand before Jesus and say, if reconciliation was possible or if a reconciliation story was impossible, it wasn't because of anything I've done. I actively pursued it. I actively went and tried to reconcile and tried to make the change. In Matthew 18, Jesus actually gives us a bit of a teaching around conflict resolution. And I know we don't like the word conflict. It's 2020 in Western Canada. We don't like it very much. Uh, we like to avoid conflict. I don't think in 2021, conflicts can be like the trending hashtag on Twitter that we're like, yeah, conflict. This is the year of conflict. We love it. We, we, we like to just be like, you do your thing, I do my thing. And that's kind of the vibe that we usually go for. We don't like it. But Jesus actually in Matthew 18 gives us a really healthy kind of model for conflict, because I don't think that reconciliation happens without conflict. Like Jesus came to reconcile the earth to himself, and what did he do? He offered hard teachings. He had hard conversations with people, and he gave them a hard call to follow him by taking up their cross daily and following him in those footsteps. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, whatever they've done against you, go and have a conversation with them. He offers this brilliant model. He says, you and them, just, this is the two of you. Don't go talk to a bunch of other people. Don't, don't, don't just do what I sometimes do where I just have arguments with them while I'm driving by myself in my van or in the shower and I'm like spewing at them. I, I hope I'm not the only one that's done that. So all of a sudden, no one's gonna wanna be friends with me. But don't, don't do that. Jesus gives a model. He says, go and talk to them with, with a desire for reconciliation. Be honest. Say, I didn't like it when you did that. I struggle with this. What have I done? How can we work that out? If that doesn't work, Bring a couple of friends that you trust. Bring a couple of people and say, hey, like, let's, let's, let's work this out. Let's do better. 
there's enough damage in the world. We don't need to be people who allow damage or deal damage. We need to be people who, who bring healing. We need to heal the damage. If that doesn't work, he says, get a large group. You can read about it in Matthew 18. It's a brilliant model. As you're struggling with tough things in your life, say, Jesus, how would you make me be someone who acts in love in a way that I heal damage rather than allowing the damage to persist or dealing damage out of my hate? None of us want to leave here this morning being like, oh, I struggle with hate. That's like a tough thing to say. But understand that Jesus makes it pretty clear that even when we exercise anger or bitterness or that type of thing, that we are expressing the type of hatred that is part of murder. Let's be a church that's known for our love, that's known for the ways that we do conflict well to seek reconciliation, that we don't slander, that we're not trying to beat people down, but that we're actually trying to do everything we can to bring reconciliation. In this last paragraph, I forgot to mention this, Jesus He's talking about this idea of being dragged to court and locked in prison, and it's a very contextually specific example. I think what Jesus is saying here, he's saying beyond the spiritual principles, there are some practical principles here as well. Allowing bitterness and dissension and division in your relationships in the church and all that, it will jack your life up. There are some serious ramifications and some consequences. On a practical level, don't allow this stuff to fester. Be active in healing damage. Be active in being the one to offer reconciliation in whatever ways you can. Settle matters quickly. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much that you have given us a great example of what it looks like to be loving people who build up the church, who are part of your mission, who are actively involved in representing your love and your grace and compassion to the world. Thank you that you enter our lives and you heal damage actively in our lives. Help us be a faith community that always does that, that persists in doing that, that doesn't give up in expressing love and settling matters quickly and in not not being given to anger and to hatred. We love you so much, God. Amen. Thanks for being here. Grab a donut and we'll see you guys next week.